the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. P. Bayonet Point. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. You see... When we think of the miracles of Jesus, often we think of his compassion, and certainly they did demonstrate God's mercy and compassion, especially the miracles of healing. Obviously, they show what a a heart the Lord has for people, but there was a far deeper significance and purpose to his miracles than merely showing his compassion. They were visible demonstrations and verifications that God God the Father had sent him, and that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lord, God in human flesh. One of my favorite gospel stories is in John chapter 9, the healing of the man who was born blind. His eyes were opened in more than one way. Yet even when presented with this astounding evidence that Jesus was the Son of God, the Pharisees refused to accept the truth. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the midst of a series of lessons from Acts chapter 2, where we find Peter's first sermon. The scene was immediately following the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And in explaining what had just happened, Peter gave a powerful defense of his faith. Let's turn to verse 22 now and see how Jesus used wonders and signs to demonstrate his divinity. Having explained to them the meaning of the event of Pentecost, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter is now about to explain to them, watch this, how this outpouring took place. How it took place, meaning who's the one behind this outpouring? Who's the one pouring out the Holy Spirit? He told them what it was. Now he's going to tell them who it is who's behind this. And he begins by telling them, naturally, about Jesus, who he calls the Nazarene, which simply means that Jesus was from the town, then a village, of Nazareth. It's in the Galilee region of Israel. And Peter describes Jesus of Nazareth as, he says, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed in your midst. Now, the key word in this statement about Jesus, note this, is the word attested. Attested, a man attested to you by God. It means, the word means to authenticate in the sense of proving something. And what Peter is saying is that God authenticated and he confirmed Jesus as the Messiah by all of the miracles, the signs, the wonders that he did through him. In other words, all the remarkable miracles that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, that was God proving over, with overwhelming evidence that Jesus was exactly who Jesus claimed to be. You see, when we think of the miracles of Jesus, often we think of his compassion, and certainly they did demonstrate God's mercy and 
compassion, especially the miracles of healing. Obviously, they show what a, a heart the Lord has for people. But there was a far deeper significance and purpose to his miracles than merely showing his compassion. They were visible demonstrations and verifications that God, God the Father, had sent him. And that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lord, God in human flesh. And although the Pharisees deliberately and out of prejudice, wicked and sin-hardened, unbelieving hearts, they accused Jesus of doing his miracles, they said, by the power of Satan, most people, most people of Christ's day who saw his miracles, they were far more objective and therefore they accurately understood them to be God demonstrating that Jesus of Nazareth was sent by him and he was indeed the Son of God. It would certainly appear that Nicodemus, the Jewish official who came to speak with Jesus at night, spoke for many people when he said in John chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, he said, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, this is how most people viewed and interpreted Christ's miracles And that's the primary reason that Jesus did them. See, Jesus performed his miracles because the Old Testament, note this, the Old Testament taught that one of the identifying marks of the Messiah would be that when he came, he would do miracles. That is to say that the Jewish people would be able to recognize their own Messiah by his ability to perform these miracles. How else would they know who who he is? Let me show you something I think is very important. I think it'll give you some understanding. Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, we have this fascinating exchange between some of the disciples of John the Baptist and Jesus. We read in Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. Now, when John, speaking of John the Baptist, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Now, let me explain the setting. Setting is that John the Baptist has been placed in prison. He's in prison at this time, but while he's in prison, he keeps hearing something about Jesus. He keeps hearing about the miraculous works that Jesus is doing, meaning his miracles, casting out demons, healings, multiplying food to feed thousands of people, and he's troubled by this. He's troubled by it. He's bothered by this to the point where he wonders if he's made the biggest mistake in his life. He wonders if he's made a mistake in, in announcing to the nation of Israel that Jesus of Nazareth, his own cousin, is the promised Messiah. In other words, he's having second thoughts. He's having doubts as to whether Jesus is really the Messiah. So he sends two of his followers. Apparently, there was freedom for them to visit him in prison. He sends two of his followers to Jesus to ask if he indeed is the expected one, meaning, are you the Messiah, or should we be expecting someone else? Now, the question is this. Why is John entertaining this doubt about Jesus? After all, Jesus said of John the Baptist, he was the greatest man who had ever lived up to that point. This was a man of faith. This was a man who was filled with the Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb. This is a great man, great character. 
So why is John troubled about Christ's miracles? The reason is really simple. It's because John has misunderstood something. John has misinterpreted something. Back in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist had made a prediction that when the Messiah came, at this point when he said this, he didn't know who the Messiah was. He made a prediction that when the Messiah came, he would bring judgment upon unbelievers. Here's what he said in Matthew 3, verses 11 and 12. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, meaning the Messiah, the Christ, he's mightier than I. I'm not fit to remove his sandals, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, this last Phrase that he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It speaks of the judgment, the fires of judgment. So what John is saying is that when Messiah comes, he will bring judgment with him. And John has announced to everyone that Jesus is the Messiah, but Jesus hasn't brought judgment. Jesus hasn't brought the fires of judgment. Instead, all John hears in prison, it's not judgment. He hears that Jesus is going around doing good works, doing miracles, not the unquenchable fires of judgment. And folks, that's John's dilemma. And John, he was not wrong. In one sense, he was not wrong about Messiah bringing judgment. He will do that. There will be judgment coming eventually. But what John doesn't understand at this point is that there will be two comings of the same Messiah. And that this fiery judgment, that is going to take place, but it's going to take place at his second coming, not his first coming. During his first coming, it'll be a time when he will go about, the Messiah will go about doing miracles that confirm to others that he is really the Messiah. That's exactly why Jesus answers John's disciples the way he did. Notice verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached them. I I love this answer because John is saying, I see his work, so go ask him, go ask him to explain this. Is he the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus said, go tell John about my works. That's John's problem in the first place, and that's our Lord's answer to him. Go tell him about these works. So what Jesus is saying is go tell John about these miracles that I'm doing because these miracles are the answer to his very question. Am I the expectant one? In other words, these miracles prove that I am the Messiah. See, what Jesus was actually doing was making a reference to what the prophet Isaiah said about the Messiah when he would come. Isaiah prophesied, and and that's what Jesus is doing. He is loosely quoting the prophet Isaiah, that when the Messiah would come, he would do these kinds of miracles. Let me read this to you, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Again, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. This is exactly what Jesus has been doing. And John should have recognized 
He should have recognized that these works are the miracles that demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. For some reason, John didn't recognize it at that point, but he should have. Once again, as we return to Peter's sermon, notice how Peter presents Christ's works. He refers to them as miracles and wonders and signs, but note this, which God performed through him in your midst. Now, that may That may be surprising to some of us, but Peter tells us that although Jesus did these works, he did not perform these miracles on his own. These were performed by God the Father through him. And the reason for this is because Jesus, although he is fully God, in becoming a man, the God-man, he came in complete submission and dependence upon the Father. And as a result... He often spoke of the Father doing these miracles through him. For example, John chapter 5, verses 16 and 20. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things, healing a lame man on the Sabbath. But he answered them, note this, my father is working until now and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, he really wasn't breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking their view of the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making him equal with God. They got that right. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. You catch that? Unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does... These things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Again, we read just a few verses later, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, John 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, he does his works. See, the point that Peter is making is that Jesus is the true Messiah, and his miracles were were done through him by God the Father as signs that pointed to and demonstrated Not only Christ's messiahship and deity, but they also demonstrated the Father's approval of him. Now, let's stop here and let's think about this for a few minutes. Because the miracles of Jesus have puzzled some people, not because of the miracles per se, but because of how the people of Christ's day reacted to them. See, if Christ's miracles were intended to prove that he was the messiah then the question that is often raised is why didn't all the people who saw his miracles come to believe in him as the Messiah? Why were there only a small number? I mean, at this point, there's just 120 believers in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Why weren't there thousands upon thousands of Jewish people believing in Christ? They certainly were aware of his miracles. This was not done in a corner. This was public knowledge. In fact, the crowd of people who Peter was preaching to, they all knew of Christ's miracles, and yet they didn't believe in him. Notice what Peter says to them at the end of verse 22. After telling them of the miracles that God performed through Jesus, Peter says that he performed them in your midst just as you yourselves know. In other words, this wasn't news to them. They were well aware 
of these miracles because many of them personally saw Jesus do them. And others from distant parts of the Roman Empire, they had heard about Christ's miracles from eyewitnesses. So they weren't ignorant of them. They, they knew all about them. And yet having seen Christ's miracles, they still cried out for him to be crucified. And they rejected him as their Messiah, even when their own scriptures identified him as the Messiah who would do such works amongst them. So how do we explain such unbelief in the face of such overwhelming evidence that Jesus was the Messiah? In fact, I'm often asked, often asked how the Jewish people of Christ's day could have rejected him when they saw these miracles. That's a question that that often people ask me. And the answer to that question lies in an understanding of the nature of hardened unbelief. The nature of hardened unbelief is to reject Christ and the truth even when faced with great, overwhelming, powerful evidence. The issue is not his miracles. The issue is unbelief, the nature of unbelief. See, Jesus himself really gave the answer to the question of why so many people reject him. He gave it in John chapter 3 when he said that men love darkness. The darkness means their own sin. Rather than the light, the light means himself. Men love their sin more than him because their deeds are evil. In other words, the reason they refuse to come to him for salvation is because this would mean having their evil deeds exposed, and it would demand then repentance, which is forsaking their sin, and they don't want that. They want to continue in their sin, and so they refuse to come to Jesus Christ regardless of how much evidence there is for believing in him as the truth. In their stubborn refusal to repent, The people of Christ's day rejected the truth about him, even though they could not and they did not deny his miracles. Their unbelief defied logic. It can only be explained by the depraved wickedness of the human heart to love its own sin. It really had nothing to do with whether Christ's miracles were valid or not. Listen, the people of Christ's day demonstrated this kind of unbelief throughout his ministry. They were consistent in this. Even though they saw him perform these miracles, they witnessed it, folks. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him heal people there. Legitimate healings. They saw him multiply food. Yet they refused to believe in him. Most refused to believe in him. For example, we read in John chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe in me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Therefore, notice the response, therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. Look at my works, he said, and they go to kill him. How about the Jewish leaders? In John chapter 11, starting in verse 45, this is in the context concerning the raising of Lazarus from the dead. There was a man who had been dead for days, 
And the Bible says he stunk. He was dead for days, yet Jesus brought him back. What's the response? We read, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary, that's Lazarus' sister, and saw what he had done, they believed in him. Well, good for them. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Now, you would think that the Pharisees would come rushing out, bow down, and adore him and say, the Messiah has come. For what greater miracle could there be than someone come back from the dead? We read, therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Notice, they don't deny the signs. They acknowledge it. Here's what they said. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Verse 53 says, so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. That's their response. They acknowledge the miracles, but they said, they'll take away our power our influence. It's all about them. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about the scriptures. They didn't care about the Messiah. But it wasn't only the Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus. Even though they acknowledged his miracles, the the multitude of people also rejected him. The general population, though they saw his miracles too. We read in John 12, 17 and 18. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead They continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. They met him on what is known as his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem officially declaring publicly that he is the Messiah who has come. But listen, in only a few days, just a few days later, many of these same people would be part of the multitude calling for his crucifixion. Now, just because you were not alive to see Christ perform a miracle doesn't mean that his miracles have no application for you. They certainly do. The miracles of Jesus that you read about in the New Testament, they are still designed by God to authenticate that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. His miraculous works still testify to you that God the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world as the Messiah And you have eyewitness reports. You may not have seen it. You didn't see it. But you have eyewitness reports of his miracles from those who saw them. It's called the writers of the New Testament. So you have no excuse for rejecting Christ. None whatsoever. His miracles ought to cause you to humble yourself and bow before him in submission and worship because they demonstrate his deity. No mere man can walk on water. No mere man can calm a violent storm. No mere man can raise people from the dead. So do what the first disciples did after Jesus walked on the water. You know what they did? They worshiped him. They worshiped him. They said, you certainly are God's son. So believe on him. Worship him. Because his life verifies that he is the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, don't hesitate in witnessing to others and and telling them about the miracles that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Christ's miracles make a powerful statement of just who he is. And that's why Peter presented it as his first argument to the crowd standing in front of him. And listen, if your friends, the people you're witnessing to, if they say, I don't believe the Bible, use it anyway. It's still God's word. Indeed it is. I have a pastor friend who often gets invited to preach at a church where they don't read the Bible. They don't want to offend someone who doesn't believe it. Well, Pastor Mike just pours on the scripture when he's there. 
He knows how powerful God's Word is, and he uses it wherever he can. And guess what? They keep asking him back. Isn't that interesting? Our job as witnesses is just to lovingly tell the truth which God has written down for us, and then let the Holy Spirit do the convincing. It was good to have you here today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in town and would like to visit Lakeside, you can get information on the website lakesidechapel.com, or you can call the office at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. If you're just joining us mid-series, you can get caught up on previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. Please feel free to stream or download all the programs you'd like. We do not charge for these resources, but producing and airing these programs does come at a cost, so we are very grateful for the generosity of listeners who give to the support of Verse by Verse Ministries. You can give online through our giving page at versebyverseradio.org or give by phone at 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. At the start of our broadcast, I mentioned the story in John 9 about the man born blind and how the Pharisees didn't recognize that only the Messiah could have healed him. At the end of that account, Jesus told the man, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Well, some Pharisees heard that and asked if Jesus considered them blind too. He replied, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Next time on Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.